Well, I believe it was a radical self-expression. I just called a friend one day and said, let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. This is Evan, and I'm here with Burning Man According to Us. Uh, I'm actually recording this very separately in time and space from when Steve recorded this episode. Uh, he did this on his own, um, What most of what we're going to hear, uh, last July, July 2019. And here I am in a closet in April 2020 uh, at home working on the podcast since we are in coronavirus times. And what I'm going to do is, uh, I'm just going to do kind of like a reaction clip. So I'm going to be listening to Stever's recording that he recorded last summer. And the reason he recorded himself was he was in line for buying Burning Man tickets and thought it would be a great opportunity to um, educate listeners about what that purchasing process is like. Uh, and the interesting thing about this especially is the ticket that he got, I ended up taking. And that's how we were able to meeting Burning Man. So let's take a listen. My finger is hovering over the refresh button. It is 2.59 and 42 seconds, 43, 44, 45. As soon as it gets to 3 o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock Pacific, I'm going to hit the enter sale button, and we will find out if I am going to be in line to buy a Burning Ticket, a Burning Man ticket at the OMG sale. Just clicked enter. And I am now in the checkout queue. Yes. And we'll see what happens from here. I am in the checkout queue at exactly 3 o'clock and 12 seconds Eastern. So for those of you who don't know the way that Burning Man tickets go on sale, once upon a time, Burning Man did not sell out. This was back before the media got a hold of it and so on and so forth. And back then, if you wanted a ticket, you essentially could just buy one. And part of the ethos was that you would be able to give your ticket as a gift to someone else. So you would get this beautiful, gorgeous ticket in the mail. The tickets are really, they're beautiful tickets. Uh, you would get a ticket and you would go up to your friend and hand your friend the ticket and say, here is a beautiful ticket to an amazing experience. Please take this ticket and come with me. And the idea was that you would be able to gift your tickets in this way to other people. And um, how awesome is that? Now, unfortunately, that isn't necessarily the way that, that life and the world has continued to go. Because once the, the festival sold out, suddenly, as soon as tickets went on sale, there was a giant run on tickets. and Everyone bought as many as they possibly could with the intent of, you know, if I don't need any later, I can put them back on the market. So as a result, what started as a one year of a little bit of scarcity instantly became extreme scarcity as everyone overbought the next year and then tickets trickled back onto the market afterwards. Now, part of the ethos of the Burning Man organization, the event, the culture, is you don't it, no scalping. You do not resell the tickets for more than you paid for them. And you know, as mentioned before, part of the idea even is that you gift tickets to people. So, uh, in practice, now what has happened is there's a giant run on tickets. Half of the community doesn't get one because the other half just overbought the people who were lucky enough to get in line. 
And then there's this huge aftermarket of people stressing and freaking out and begging for tickets and joining Facebook groups and putting the word out and trying in some fashion to get the ticket that they weren't able to get in their initial, uh, uh, in the initial sale. So there are multiple sales. They have an early sale called FOMO, fear of missing out. And the FOMO sale is for the general public at $1,400 a ticket. That happens before the main sale because everyone who wants a FOMO ticket, uh, up to the number of FOMO, FOMO tickets they give out, does in fact get one. So, you know, that's, that's cool. Um, that's a way to guarantee that you're going to make it into the event. Um, FOMO tickets are mainly for people who have enough money that they can spare $1,400 for a ticket and want to contribute to helping to fund the event because obviously that money goes towards the cost of running things. Then there's the main sale. That's where most people get tickets. The main sale, you, you create a burner profile, you log in at exactly 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, you click your, your buy a ticket button, you get put in a queue, you might wait in the queue for several hours, and then either they're all sold out or you get a chance to buy a ticket. I have gone through the main sale three times. The first time I got a ticket in about an hour and a half. The second and third times I waited several hours and then ended up being told either that the event was sold out or that I somehow got punted out of the queue because of a technical error. Okay, I think this is a good place to jump in. Uh, just as Steve was describing, um, you know, waiting in line, and this is his uh, third time doing so. Um, the tip that I had gotten for waiting in line for tickets is to actually open up multiple browsers uh, and signing into your burner profile for the main sale in multiple browsers. That way, if you get kicked out of the queue for whatever reason or something crashes or there's some technical issue, whatever, um, you're still kind of in line through the other one. And whichever one gets in first, you can go ahead and buy tickets that way. But I think this does point to the fact that this has actually been a, a big issue for Burning Man, um, at least as far as I've read about and I think later when we hear more, Steber will kind of run into probably some of the technical issues that a lot of uh, blogs had reported on. Um, but yeah, it can be very difficult to get a ticket uh, electronically. And also, as he mentioned, they only set aside a, a certain amount for the FOMO sale, and those are really high priced. So we start to get a sense of kind of the difficulties it can be for um, different communities and, and people without, you know, direct access to $1,400 cash or even the, the main sale tickets, which I think are in the, you know, several hundreds of dollars to actually get a ticket. Um, and, you know, as I've been editing some of the episodes and re-listening to uh, Radical Self-Inclusion, we can see how the kind of like economic aspect of attending Burning Man and the ticket process kind of factors into the uh, types of people that might be um, able to go or ultimately end up going to uh, the Burning Man um, Festival. So just wanted to jump in with that, but um, it's really interesting to hear. I'll also admit that like the 2019, I did not get tickets because I actually um, didn't read the instructions clearly. So I had signed up for my profile and I had signed up, but I missed the window to like sign up to sign up to get in line. Um, so I completely missed out on on that experience. And um, yeah, it's not, it's not the most clear uh, path or instructions for how to get tickets to Burning Man. And I know that that could be a source of frustration for many and also a reason why uh, many aren't able to go. But let's keep listening. Um, there's a lot of issues that I have with this ticketing process, not the least of which is if you're located in Silicon Valley and you have a nice white collar job that lets you be at your desk at noon and you can afford to spend three hours in front of your machine in this line, then, you know, yay, you can get a ticket. 
So the very ticketing process itself generates an extreme skew to who can come and who can't. And of course, the irony is the original audience of Burning Man, which is artists and makers and people who might have low-income jobs, service jobs, where they don't have a lot of control over their schedule, they're the ones who are most disadvantaged by the existing by, by the, the technical infrastructure that they put in place. Okay, I swear I, I have not listened to this uh, at all. I've listened to pieces of it as I was doing some editing, but I haven't heard the section. So um, yeah, Steve is also bringing up some really interesting points here about ticketing process and how that impacts who can come. Our local burn, the burn in Vermont, Firefly. Firefly is a very different ticketing process. With Firefly, you simply, uh, uh, the, the time to declare your intent to buy a ticket is several days. You essentially put in your name for a ticket and then there's a lottery held, and everyone who got through the lottery then has 72 hours to actually make the purchase. Otherwise, the wait list, uh, you know, otherwise the ticket goes to someone on the wait list. That way, you, there's not as much of a constraint on who can and can't initially enter the queue because it's available to anyone over several days. So it's not dependent on your work schedule. Okay, so that's really cool. I've actually never heard of how other regions do their ticketing process. Um, for those who aren't familiar, there are regional burns, which are locally organized within different communities, cities, towns, things like that. And um, the one Steve was talking about was the one in Vermont, uh, which kind of covers parts of uh, Northeast US. There might be some other within that area as well. Um, I'm living in San Diego, so there's a uh, local regional burn here called Utopia, which I've yet to go to. But I think that's also another interesting piece about the Burning Man project and the culture overall is, um, you know, it's it's not necessarily a confederation, but we have all these local regional uh, areas where there can be, you know, spaces for innovation, but also ties back to the culture. And so I'd be interested in seeing how other regional burns do their ticketing system, since we're talking about tickets, and also, you know, what the feedback loops are between the regional burns and um, the Burning Man project for the main uh, event, so to speak. Um, to see if there's any learnings or, you know, how that feedback gets passed in to make things more, more fair. It is also means it's not just first come, first serve. And there's no reason to, in a community like Burning Man why first come, first serve is particularly fair. Um, to be blunt, the people that we really want at the event, and by we, I, I mean me and a lot of other people, is people who are genuinely going to contribute to the event. And if someone who is genuinely going to contribute and make the event more awesome because they're there and they're either going to do a big art project or a small art project or performance art or some interactive experience that they're going to help make the event more awesome, um, I, I would rather have one of those people, even if it takes them three days after the time the ticket sales go on sale for them to be able to get to be able to buy. So first come, first serve doesn't make a lot of sense. With Firefly, it's not first come, first serve. Again, I had uh, no idea you know, what topics Steve was going to bring up, but we're kind of moving in this direction of uh, what's a fair ticketing system and who gets to come to uh, an event like Burning Man and how does ticketing affect that? Um, which again, if you haven't listened to our Radical uh, Inclusion episode, um, we also kind of get into some topics about yeah, who's attending Burning Man and why are some people attending and others not. But here Steve is also talking about um, the principle of participation and um, I've also heard the term uh, Burning Man is a duocracy, so it's, you know, what can you do or what can you bring, which is also an interesting thing to consider in terms of like a quote-unquote price of admission, right? Like, do we want the people that are going to be there that are definitely, you know, participating and bringing something to some extent that's actually been kind of written into, um, you know, there's not licenses per se, but if you want to set up a camp at Burning Man, uh, you do have to fill out an application and then there's something called placement, which it determines where different camps get placed on uh, 
on the playa, basically. Um, and with that, I know that I think the first year that I attended, so 2017, 2018, um, you know, a lot of the uh, camp, it may have started before then, but a lot of the camps had to write, hey, how are you going to participate? What is going to be your thing that you're bringing to the playa so that as people are riding their bikes by or walking by, there's something for them to do, right? It doesn't mean they have to do it. Um, but there are even roles that I've heard uh, kind of emerge from this or maybe emerge way prior and just started getting more widely used. Um, that's kind of like, a, I forget the term. It's not like it's not like handler. It's like shouter or something like that where basically like one of the volunteer things you can do as part of a camp is sign up for a shift where you just stand outside your camp welcoming people in, welcoming people to uh, – you know, maybe food or drink or dance or whatever it is that you're creating to participate. And that's also why kind of as you go down the different roads, um, you know, there's always something to do and you can stop by and, you know, that that's kind of built built into the uh, the plan of the city, this, this participation, sorry, this participation vibe um, and, and principle that we're trying to uh, create with the, with the community and with the culture. So I think it's a really interesting point you know like would you put into a ticketing system instead of first come first serve like how you will participate how would you actually measure if someone did participate in that way once they show up um you know and these types of things make it difficult to implement but it's certainly an interesting thing to think about in terms of you know what are the types of people that we want from a uh perspective of how do they contribute to the community not just financially contribute to the community because you have a lot of money to spend at the beginning of a ticket sale but also how are you going to bring your best self um, even if you don't have financial means to bring a, you know, crazy art car or crazy camp, how are you going to, uh, make this event special for the people that you interact with? Let's keep listening. You're in a lottery, then you get out of the wait list. Sorry, then you're in a lottery. And if you don't take a, if you don't get your ticket within the 72 hours, then someone from the wait list gets your ticket. But then the question becomes, what if you have a group of people whose idea is, you know, we either all want to go together or we don't want to go at all. Now, with the current Burning Man system, well, every person, first of all, every person in that group has got to have the kind of job where they can sit there in front of a browser all afternoon. So it immediately makes it hard to form groups that might have people who don't all have jobs that are that flexible. Um, but secondly, um, secondly, is the current, the current Burning Man uh, uh, system is it's all individual tickets. So there are still, months later, groups trying to make sure that everyone in their group can find a ticket somewhere, either, you know, on the after, in one of the later sales or on the aftermarket. Um, it's really screwy. Firefly has solved this problem quite elegantly. With Firefly, when you put in your initial bid for a ticket, you can also say, I want to create a group, and we're going to call this group the Merry Band of, of People. And then your friends can all say they want to join the Merry Band of People, and either everyone in that group gets in together or everyone in that group does not get in. Interestingly, they have come up with a way to do this that does not change the odds of you getting in. So there is no advantage to joining a group or to not joining a group. It's just that if you do join a group, everyone in that group will either all get in or will all not get in. Okay, at this point, I may be biased because it's my co-host, Steber, but uh, I'm pretty much sold on this, quote-unquote, I think you said, ingenious um, ticketing system that uh, Firefly uses. And yeah, I'm super curious as to whether or not uh, Firefly has submitted their ticketing system to Burning Man Project, um, or if other regionals have done that, or if there's kind of like a shared uh, back channels between the regional groups for how to you know do your ticket design process. Um, and it's actually making me think... Um, 
pardon for quote unquote leaving the uh, playa world for a moment. Um, but actually, uh, you know, recently I've been really interested in different um, uh, voting systems, right? Because here in the U.S. at least we use something similarly called first past the post. It's uh, it's not first come first serve, um, but in a way it is. It's whoever gets past fifty percent plus one first is the winner. Um, and perhaps those of you listening are not as familiar, maybe you are familiar, but there's other voting systems out there that try to do things more equitably, more fair, um, tries to take into account, uh, you know, where people are coming from, how they're voting. Um, I think in Europe, Estonia, I want to say, does like all digital voting. Um, and I know there's different, uh, uh, programs being set up in the U S like, uh, voting stations that you can go to for several weeks prior to an election. Um, I think that's being set up in LA County at least. And, um, but yeah, there's different voting systems, uh, like rank choice voting or star voting. Um, and it just makes me think of that because these are redesigning things that we usually take for granted, uh, whether it's voting or whether it's just buying tickets, but it's trying to think about how to do it equitably and how do we do it in such a way that everyone can be encouraged to participate and get the benefits of that participation. Um, even if it means that, you know, they, a don't get their favorite candidate or a or B don't get the ticket to attend that year. You know, what, what creates an equitable, favorable system? With Burning Man, it's much more difficult. Now, this only works for Firefly. Uh, well, uh, the, other, the other thing with Firefly is the tickets are all tied directly to your name. And you need to show a government ID in order to pick up your ticket when you get there. Uh, Burning Man has elected not to do that because they want to, provide, they want to continue to provide the I can gift my ticket directly to someone else concept by just handing over the, the ticket. Uh, personally, I would prefer to have an electronic ticket, and if I want to gift it to someone, you know, I can log into a website or an app or something and just, just transfer the ownership of that ticket that way. I would find that a lot more useful because, among other things, I don't want my ability to enter the event to be tied to me physically having to keep track of this ticket as I receive it eight weeks in advance and then have to keep track of where it is and then fly it across the country, keep it on my person, and... and you know, get it all the way out there, but to each their own. The Firefly method works well, and if Burning Man would find a way or could find a way to check IDs at the door and match them to tickets, it could work for Burning Man too. Gotcha. Okay, so there seems to be the big, um, I guess, technical difference between uh, at least the Firefly Vermont Regional and Burning Man in uh, Black Rock City is the tying of a name to a ticket. Um, and yeah, I'm not too familiar with the kind of pros and cons of doing that. Sounds like Stever's saying that, you know, hey, the the Black Rock City um, event, uh, you know, they want to make it so that your name is not tied to a ticket and the tickets can kind of just flee, free float around. And if anyone is able to come across one or get gifted one, then, you know, that works even at the last second. Um, and yeah, I can understand kind of the benefits of that. But I guess I find it hard to believe that these two systems are incompatibly, uh, incompatible exclusively and that there can't be some other way to kind of design it such that you get the benefits of not tying it to a name, but you still are able to create things equitably. Um, but I'm not sure. The other thing, um, of course, is not just how do you handle things when they work well, but how do you handle things when there's a problem? Because with Firefly, which is a much, much smaller event, if someone shows up and their ID doesn't match their ticket, you know, you can tell, you can say, go away there, and then a few minutes later, somebody can can pop over and and help you sort things out. If you're talking about 80,000 people, however, which is the size of the Big Burn, 
if you're talking about 80,000 people, if somebody's having a ticketing problem at the gate, much harder to send them over to the side and say, we'll take someone, you know, we'll take care of you because there might be a dozen cars that happens to an hour and the gate is 15 lanes wide. So moving somebody from lane eight over to the side, not necessarily going to be an easy task. So there are definitely some issues with, uh, you know, with scaling from something the size of Firefly to something the size of Burning Man. But that said, uh, the Burning Man ticketing process is still just incredibly nail-biting. So I, uh, the, the, uh, I forgot there is also something called directed group sales. And directed group sales is if you are with a theme camp that is, uh, that is doing something that's going to be a big piece of art or that it's a, a big-named camp that has a lot of events, um, uh, those, those groups, those camps are allowed to buy a certain number of tickets for their members to help show up early and set up to help, you know, to be there so that the event itself has people in it, because that is, of course, what, uh, that is, of course, what, you know, what the event is about is the people who want to help make the event more awesome. So if you're part of one of the, if you're known to be one of those people in a named and placed camp, then they're going to, you're going to have this extra ability to get tickets. Again, it's not everyone in the town camp gets a ticket, but directed group sales are one way of getting tickets. I know groups that have extra directed group sales now that all the group sales are done, and I also know camps that still need 10 or 11 tickets in order to get their basic infrastructure people out there, some of the larger camps. Stever, again, hitting it with the interesting technical engineering complexities of setting up systems like this. Um, but uh, this last bit kind of just made me think, you know, like that's wild. Like there's some camps who do all this planning and then they end up still needing like 10, 11 tickets just to get their infrastructure set up. And, um, you know, I, I, I wonder if they actually end up getting it. I wonder if they only get half of it, if they're missing one. Um, but at the end of the day, like I'm sure there are some camps that ultimately can't end up going or are missing out on some key people that they want there. Um, but you know what, like the event still works in some shape or form and coming back to the principle of immediacy, like whoever's there is, is who's there. And that's what the event and your experience has to make the most of. Um, and so, yeah, it's just an interesting thing to consider that there's some people that are going to be there and some people aren't, but it still ends up happening one way or another. So, um, uh, so I didn't do the FOMO sale because too much, uh, too expensive. Uh, I did the main sale, did not get a ticket because I got bounced out by a horrible, horrible, um, uh, oh my God, I just got to the top of the line. All right. I am going to get me a ticket. One ticket. I am going to do this ticket at... Whoa, boy, how am I going to do this? Um, I think I'm going to get this at will call. Oh, but if I get it at will call, um, yeah, I think I'll get it at will call. Okay, checking out. Okay. Um, now, based on the recording I have from Stever, there's like, I don't know, a minute and a half of him not talking. So I guess he's kind of figuring it out during this time. And uh, in editing, I might end up cutting this and just jumping straight to the next part. But um, yeah, one thing I guess I want to talk about with Will Call 
I'm guessing, you know, part of the thinking here is, well, you know, uh, we'll call, you have to go and pick it up. Um, and then I guess it is tied to your name because you have to actually show up at the will call station, pick up your ticket. So if you get it beforehand, then it gets mailed to you and it's just like a paper ticket without your name on it. Um, so again, you can gift it to others or, you know, it can get resold again, not for higher than face value. Um, but yeah, if you do end up doing will call, then, you know, it takes, it can take a little bit longer to get in because you have to, uh, not just go straight to your uh, starting point through the gate with your ticket, but you have to pick up your ticket first um, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, let's let's fast forward here a little bit. Hello? Hello? <laughs> okay, so I had to listen to this once just to understand what these uh, waveforms were as I'm editing, but um, I guess he tried to call someone. Okay, so it looks like he tried to call... A friend named Jeff, maybe to give away the ticket. I know actually where I was on this day. I was out at a meeting at a cafe and he tried to call me and left me a voicemail. So I think this is the part where he was actually trying to call me. Let's see. Hi, you've reached Devin. If you leave a message, I'll get back to you. There he is. <laughs> at the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Yeah, I remember uh, seeing on my phone a missed call from Stever. I forgot if I got a voicemail or not. It sounds like the tone went off, but I don't hear him leaving a message now. So I think he just went in to text me and texted me that, hey, I have a ticket. Do you want the ticket? In fact, I'm going to hit pause, try and find that uh, old text. I can read it right now. Okay, I actually uh, found the old text message from July 31st, 2019. Uh, I, I guess when he had called me, I was in my meeting, so I did the little auto-reply, and I basically said, can't talk right now, text me. And then I guess he was texting at this point, and I'll just do my best impersonation of Stever. I got into the OMG sale. Shall I buy you a $550 ticket? Total cost is about 600 I have about five minutes to complete the sale. You have a ticket if you want one. LMK, let me know. If you don't want it, I have high confidence I can find a local buyer. So that was sent, and then I checked it, uh, I guess, 10 minutes later, so to speak. And I said, I would love it, but haven't done any planning. Buy if you can buy, uh, and definitely find Shit. another buyer. I really don't know if I should do this or not. <laughs> so, so here's the, the thing, and I have, I, have about, I have about six minutes to make this decision before my ticket time's out. That's what he put in the I text. just got into the front of the line for the OMG sale which means I can get a slightly higher price ticket. It's $100 more. It's $550, which after taxes is about $625 to go to Burning Man. Now, I have a physical ticket already. That physical ticket will get me in. This one, I can, I can specify that I don't want to have it shipped what was sent to me because I don't want to have two paper tickets to take care of, especially since we're actually leaving next week. So, but I can have this one held at will call for me. So, and, we, and we have to go through will call anyway because we're early arrivals. So I can buy this and then see if I can sell someone else my paper ticket for the price that this one is costing me. And the question is, do I do this or not? You know what? I think I'm just going to do it. I will. I will. Wait, wait, wait. You don't actually make money off, off the ticket. No, I'm just doing this. I'm just doing this to. Um, like just to shit. My card. This, my card was declined. Just, just to do this as a friendly thing to one of your friends that might want to buy a ticket. Basically, because there's, there's like a bunch of theme camps that are still searching for tickets and stuff, a bunch of local theme camps. Gotcha. So I, the thing is, is I would prefer to have a specific person 
you know, ready to say yes, then just, then just. I I would, yes, do it, but put it as a super low probability. And if it's, if this is causing you a bunch of stress, just quit doing it. Cause it's, I don't, I don't know if it's going to make that big of a But I mean, having control over set, because I mean, also remember, you do now have to find another person to get this. That's, that's not going to be hard. That's not going to be hard. Okay. Yeah. The thing is, so, so to me, there's also, there's also a certain level of, um, um, there's a certain level of, of, like I actually think because it's a first come first serve thing, I kind of don't want to get a ticket for a friend, unless I know that I have a specific friend who wants one. Because there's all these people who are lit- who are like sitting here in waiting in line, trying to get one, and I'd rather have it go to one of those people who's really pushing rather than just say, oh, I'll just hang on to it and like give it to somebody on the spur of the moment. You know what I mean? I'm like. You know, because if I were waiting in the line still, I would really want someone who didn't need the ticket to not take it, so that I so that I have a chance to get it. Yes. So, so this is all of these different uh, all of these different um, different considerations. So now I have two burning man tickets. <laughs> so sounds like he actually bought it. It's so interesting for me to hear what was happening in the room because again, I I got the text message and I only replied. Uh, maybe 10 minutes later, so it was outside of the window that he had to buy it. Um, but interesting things that he was considering at the time. And yeah, what I basically texted back to him 10 minutes after I got his text was, you know, I'd love it, but I haven't done any planning. Buy if you can definitely find another buyer, and I'll see how quickly I can put my shit together. Um, and I'm in another meeting for another hour and a half, but thanks for thinking of me. And so uh, he bought it and then very kindly replied, of course, I'll hold it. For you until tomorrow noon, then start looking for a local buyer. Our truck load-in is Saturday. Anyone here would need at least a day or two to know they have a ticket. Obviously, even that is pushing it. Yeah, because this is July 31st, and um, Burning Man is actually at the end of uh, August. It goes through uh, Labor Day weekend. So basically, this is like you know three or four weeks before. Um, and if you're coming from the East Coast, where Steve is coming from, uh, you had all these logistics put in place to get all your stuff out to Reno. Um and then from, you know, up to Black Rock City, presumably, uh, if you're coming from California, it's a little bit like I was, you know, it's a little bit easier to be flexible. Um, and so then I replied once I got on the meeting and I said, Hey, thanks. I started reaching out to camps. I have friends in, I'm going to keep you posted. And, uh, turns out, uh, if you remember from our earlier episode in Radical Inclusion, I got in touch with random from census camp and they were looking for volunteers and, uh, they had a spot in their camp. And so I had my spot secured. And then what I had to do was figure out, you know, basically my tent and stuff like that and, you know, what my ride was going to be. Um, I ended up reaching out to someone I had gone to um, uh, my first burn with the year previous uh, with my camp ATL above the limit. Um, his his ply name is Fuzzy Hugs. So I got in touch with him and turns out he was driving up and staying with a different camp. But I had a, a seat in his car and we shared the drive up and back. Um, and so within a month, uh, I got a ticket, had a place to go, was volunteering, and had a ride up and back. Um, and I'm super thankful for Stever getting in line and, and thinking to give me the ticket because uh, I had a great burn in 2019, and um, we got to do our art walk, a little episode there if you haven't listened to that one yet. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a nail-biter getting tickets and can also be very difficult to do. So um, hope this episode was helpful, and uh, thanks for joining us. This is uh, Burning Man, according to us. Hey there, sorry for uh, interrupting real quick. Um, I know we were going on our outro and everything, but 
I just want to take a moment to recognize that, um, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, we are either in a COVID coronavirus world or just coming out of it, um, depending on when, yeah, when you're listening to it, if it's three months, six months, 12, 18 months from now. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to, you know, have a moment to reflect on that um, because, you know, we try and keep these podcasts lighthearted. Uh, but I did want to just, you know, recognize that uh, there are many people around the world affected by this. And, um, you know, I'm recording this in April. The main sale for Burning Man was supposed to happen in the beginning of April. That's actually been postponed. Um, And as of now, we haven't had any updates on whether that's going to be back on track. There's also probably a lot of lingering thoughts in the air as to whether the event itself will get canceled. You know, bringing in people from around the world to one location in close proximity in the middle of a desert during a pandemic does not sound wise to me. Um, but I know that everyone's kind of evaluating things as they go. And, uh, you know, there's economic implications here as well, just in terms of all the, uh, staff and volunteers and, you know, people that, uh, contribute or are able to contribute to something like Burning Man. So yeah, I know, uh, we were talking about tickets this episode and, uh, just, you know, based on the timeliness of when, you know, I'm recording it and editing this together, I just wanted to reflect on that. And, um, you know, if anyone that's listening has been impacted or affected by, uh, coronavirus in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, we're thinking about you. We, we hope that you all are taking care at this time. And um, yeah, if Burning Man doesn't happen this year because of the pandemic, I I think that makes sense to me um, in terms of health and safety. And, you know, we'll kind of come back uh, the following year as a result. Um, and if you are part of the community already, uh, or even if you're not, I was just looking up on the, uh, the website. There's a lot of interesting blog posts kind of talking about how um, you know, some of the principles we talk about on the show are, are relevant in, during a time like this. Um, radical self-reliance, uh, participation, um, you know, coming together as a community to help one another. And um, yeah, so I, I'll put those in the show notes for those that, you know, want to read or reflect a little bit more. Um, but I did want to uh, just take a moment to recognize that and wish everyone well who is uh, currently impacted by this. So take care and um, hope we can continue the journey. Thank <laughs> you.